Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. And what we did was wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. What do you care? When you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, the most convenient definitions. You see us as a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Correct? Welcome to the boot! That's right, it's the boot! We are recasting classic movie reboots, so Hollywood doesn't even have to. Hollywood, Bollywood, all the woods, all the big international woods. You're on notice, guys. You don't have to. You don't have to. Korea, Australia, we have taken we see you. such a load off of you. Why are we getting like money, letters, know. accolades? I oh, love Lord. flowers. Guys, I'm Brian Flynn and writing an essay for who we think we are. Kenna Trent. Kenna, how are you? I'm sorry, what was your name? What did I say? Did I not say my correct name? You messed up my joke. Oh, sorry. Oh, what, yeah, what does he say? When Brian Claire? tells him his name, he's like, I'm my condolences. <laughs> Claire. Claire. It's a family name. Guys, if you can't tell from these quotes, Ken and I are back to form and we're doing the 1985 <laughs> Couldn't find it. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Ken and I are doing the 1985 classic comedy, and I use classic deliberately. This movie is wonderful, and every single person should see it, preferably before the age of 19. Yeah. The Breakfast Club, starring Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy. Um, John Hughes. We're our first foray. We haven't done a John yeah, Hughes. Yeah, we haven't done a John Hughes movie. Because um, it's scary to recast high schoolers, honestly. It really is. And uh, John Hughes has influenced so many directors. I thought at the end of this movie, what a joy it would be if you had never seen this movie before and you watched it like you had never heard Don't You Forget About Me. If you had, no like, could you imagine watching this movie for the first time and how much it would change your life? Mm -hmm. I do remember because I remember when I was 14 and I saw this movie and it. I, I, you know, it was one of those things where you're like, who's John Hughes? And then someone gives you all of his movies and you're just like, geez. I mean, he's only directed like eight movies, but he's mm -hmm. written like 50 something movies. All of them are. Yeah. Well, not all of them. Beethoven. Uh, what? You don't like Beethoven? <laughs> I actually don't remember Beethoven, but um, his work still resonates. Like this movie is still, I mean, it, it's not everyone can sort of fit in these kind of niches that he kind of lays out, like the five different. Mm -hmm. archetypes but the the uh, the theme of being a young adult and not being seen by actual adults is it still resonates you know what's really interesting is i went to see eighth grade this weekend oh fuck i, I had an opportunity and i didn't see it it was wonderful and eighth grade please go see it if you haven't it's probably even wider now than it was before um Bo Burnham made a movie about a girl in the eighth grade, and it is so touching. Yeah. And Kenna's cr crying, <laughs> streams. I I'm sweating so much. <laughs> um, but th there was a point where I was like, "Wow, so much about these movies are so similar, and they're told in completely different ways." But just 
our society still needs stories that tell teenagers and young people that it's okay to be yourself and it's okay to not know what you're doing and it's okay to feel really screwed up because you don't have everything figured out. Yeah. Um, so Ken and I are going to pick literally the only five characters in this movie. Yeah, it's kind of um, convenient. Well, there's like seven or eight. Uh, and we're going to recast them as if this movie was being remade today in 2018. But before we do that, we're going to hit you with some reboot news. And we got we got a few. You know, we got a little bit. Big fishes here. I, I'll take the first one because this. Okay. <sighs> this one's driving me nuts. Neil Blomkamp to direct new RoboCop for MGM. Justin Rose rewriting sequel script by creators Ed Newmeyer and Michael Miner. MGM is developing a new installment of RoboCop and has set Director 9 director Neil Blomkamp to helm the picture, which is titled RoboCop Returns. The studio hopes to revive a franchise that began with Paul Vanderhoven director's satirical sci-fi action thriller that Orion released in 1987. The original starred Paul Weller as a badly wounded cop on death's doorstep who is turned into a cyborg law enforcement officer tasked with whipping out... Whipping out... (laughs) Crime. Uh, he whipped it out. He put it on the table. Crime. Uh, oh, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> um, Death's doorstep who turned into a cyborg law enforcement officer tasked with wiping out crime in an out-of-control Detroit. MGM revived the concept with a Jose Padilla-directed version that starred Joe Kinnaman in 2014. That film didn't do so well domestically. <laughs> End sentence. <laughs> So why didn't they make a sequel in the 80s? Verhoeven felt at the time that making one would be to class A, and he wasn't interested in politics of a sequel. Came back around when Ed Newmeyer and Michael Miner got a call from MGM. Quote, right when Trump was about to be elected president, they called them and said, do you actually predict in your sequel script that a reality star would run for president and win? We had. So Mike and Ed wrote a draft and gave one interview in Barbados, and I think the only person who read it was Neil Blomkamp, and that set this in motion. So there's a lot of stuff you just read, and there was a lot of stuff I included when I made this little thing. Thanks. Because here's the crazy thing about this movie. So they're making a new RoboCop called RoboCop Returns. They just made, in 2014, a reboot of RoboCop. This sequel has nothing to do with the reboot. They're just making a sequel to the 87 movie now which spoiler alert has two sequels to it waste makes haste for time is fleeting a rolling stone is worth two in the bush go fuck a refrigerator peckernick wait robocop two and three robocop three was written by frank miller creator of sin city here's the thing it's just insanity it's insanity that four years after rebooting a movie were like, nope, let's just forget that ever happened, which won't be hard. I'm sorry, Joel Kinnaman. You, he's unwatchable. <laughs> in that movie or just in general? <laughs> because I agree. If you, if, <laughs> did you see the most, I think it was the past two seasons of House of Cards. No, but I saw, they, I tried to watch um, Altered Carbon and I was just asleep. And it's unfortunate because it's not, it's, I don't think he's a bad actor. He's not bad looking. He is just, there's something about him that is uninteresting to watch. They tried to cast him in the last two seasons of House of Cards as a Republican war veteran running against Frank mm-hmm. in the presidential election. He is a presidential candidate in this show. And it blew my mind. I was like, who saw him and was like, this is going to work? It doesn't. I, I did see like a clip of him in that 
season. He's supposed to play like a right wing Obama, right? Like he's young, he's charming, he's handsome. Yeah. And he's they, energizing the base. And then they bring in all these because he's a he was in the military. So they start bringing in these things about like PTSD. Yeah. It's just really difficult to watch. He was in Suicide Squad and it was it made it. Nothing could have helped that matter. movie. But. Um, let's talk about RoboCop. <laughs> I, I love the original RoboCop. I mean, it's a Criterion Collection movie for Christ's sakes. Um, oh, I, boy. I just think that like lots of things have made it into the Criterion Collection. I know, but RoboCop. I, I just think it's like a great. Um, I don't really know how to describe it. It's just this insane. Just, this is actually, but what's happening is actually, I think, what we starting this podcast were thinking was the insanity that needs to stop. Like this is the kind of thing that we're like, why are you? There's so much stuff you can play around with, yeah. especially with MGM. You have an MGM and Orion. Like you guys have a ton of properties you can pull from stuff that we haven't seen in forever. And you're going back to RoboCop. Why? I think I, I do think that the RoboCop property could be a great IP to uh, reinvigorate. But I think the choices that the last one made were so dead wrong for why people love the 80s version mm-hmm. that it set it back and to just come back and just be like, oh, you didn't like that one? Well, we got all the original guys to come back and do another one. It's like, I don't give a, I don't give a, a crap about it because I know it's just going to be not, not as good, but I, I just, it's, I'm too burnt from this other one. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other one had Gary freaking Oldman in it mm. and it still was garbage. Shouldn't save it. It's because, it's because of Joel Kimmon. Um, I feel like this made us angrier than it should have. Let's talk about Timothy Chalamet. Okay. Timothy Chalamet is in talks to star in Dune for Denis Villeneuve. How did that sound? That's uh, great. Uh, There's a lot of French names, okay? I took French in high school and college. Um, Timothy Chalamet is in final talks to star in, how do you say his name? I say Denis Villeneuve. No, I don't know. That is incorrect. Anyway. It's Denis though, right? He's directing. He's French, though. It's Denis. Oh, man. Maybe not. Croissant. Anyway, he's directing Dune, a cinematic relaunch of one of the most celebrated science fiction properties of all time. Legendary acquired film and TV rights to the Frank Herbert novels Dune in 2016 with the intention of making multiple films. Because why not? Because the book is like 5,000 pages. Each book is like 5,000 pages. And David Lynch had to. You're reading this thing. Chalamet will play the lead, which in the David Lynch directed original was Kyle MacLachlan, the young nobleman Paul Atreides. Atreides, I've never seen this movie, is the central figure in the series of sprawling epic novels first published in 1965. It is set in the far future, involving worlds beyond Earth, ruled over by competing feudal families who control access to a drug called melange. The spice. Known popularly as spice, the, the drug spice. gives okay, gives drug the drug gives users heightened consciousness and an extended lifespan at the cost of crippling addiction and fatal withdrawal. Spice. The spice. <laughs> I, that's not even a quote, I'm just making a word voice. Spice, use of which makes interstellar travel possible, that sentence, is found only in the desert planet of Arrakis. Mm-hmm. AKA Dune. And as such is the most valuable commodity in the galaxy. That uh, little summary was honestly for me because I don't know anything about this movie. 
I know a little bit about this movie. Um, every time I've tried to watch this movie, it, something has had to like pull me away. So I've never finished it, but I remember th- every time I watch it, I'm like blown away. This movie is insane. And there's also a documentary about, um, I believe, an Italian uh, production designer mm-hmm. who tried to make his this version before David Lynch got his hands on it. And that movie is equally as insane because his work on this like pre-Dune property like inspired almost every sci-fi movie that came out mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s like Star Wars, Alien, I think like Terminator was in there and it's just like the insane amount of artwork that had been generated. Um the David Lynch version is equally as beautiful and strange. This is part of the weirding way that we will teach you. Through sound and motion, you will be able to paralyze nerves, shatter bones, set fires, suffocate an enemy or burst his organs. We will kill until no Harkonnen breathes Arakine air. But I do remember the story that when the movie premiered, they were like copies of like a 30-page dossier catching you up on what the hell is going on in the movie it's because insane. there's so much material and i do know that i have a lot of friends who are like huge dune um dune freaks dune, yeah, dune doonies um the old doonies all my dooney boys um <laughs> wow you didn't you didn't have to keep going <laughs> um they they are probably very excited for the fact that they're going to get many movies as opposed to like one condensed boiled down because we do now live in the age of uh serializing films mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah chalamet I mean, you know what i mean yeah people he's on a hot streak people seem to love this i mean if there's one thing that fanboys love it's when you remake their favorite thing because either mm-hmm. it's going to give them a heart attack or they're going to like rage scream their love for it onto the internet uh, yeah. forever like either way whether they hate it or love it they're gonna be excited about it so cool cool well let's talk about our most beloved property (gasps) yeah rugrats rugrats returns with nickelodeon series revival and live action paramount movie there it is let me say that again and live action paramount movie tommy chucky and his pals are coming back on both tv and the big screen Viacom's Nickelodeon and Paramount Pictures have set a revival of the iconic kid series Rugrats with a 26-episode order from Nickelodeon and a live-action film featuring CGI characters from Paramount players. Both the TV series and the movie will include new adventures with the famous characters Tommy, Chucky, Phil, Lil, Susie, and Angelica. And we'll also introduce a new world of characters. Why don't? Yeah, don't add anybody in. Quote, Rugrats is hands down one of the most celebrated cartoons in TV history, and we are thrilled for a whole new audience to meet these iconic characters in brand new adventures, said Sarah Le- Sarah Levy. Yeah? I don't know her personally. Okay. Said Sarah <laughs> Levy, COO, Viacom Media Networks and interim president Nickelodeon. Quote, what was true in 1991 when the original show premiered is still true today. Kids are fascinated with the world of babies. Hmm. Is that read, why we watch? I should read these beforehand. Uh, <laughs> we can't we can't wait for today's kids to be Tommy, Chucky, and pals. Um, this this came out uh, today for us. If you're listening, yeah. a couple weeks from now. Um, uh, this is what I'm confused though. Live action film featuring CGI characters. So, I think this is going to be a Space Jam. This is going to be a Looney Tunes back in action. Huh? There's going to be real life people and CGI babies. It has to be. 
right? It can't all be CGI. So, but like their proportions are not. I mean, that's wait. What do you mean proportions? So, like the Rugrats cartoon, like they all have these like cartoonishly big heads, and like they have like exactly crazy hair. Like you know how, but you know how like in Space Jam, you see Space Jam, of course. Like they just exist next to regular people. Yeah, but there's like, and that's okay. There's like multiple dimensions worked into that story like quantum realities are okay. bent have I, you seen looney tunes back in action no okay well like the looney tunes exist next to brendan Fraser. i'm a little worried it's going to be like a garfield situation Ooh. where a human man has a weird fat cartoonish cat that doesn't look like other cats but what's interesting is that we know their parents we know stew pickles yeah the adults know, are also characters we in the show. yeah so like it's not going to be like that's what's kind of weird to me is I'm like, who are the characters who are, spo- I don't know. Well, I guess you you do make a point. Like, I don't know if I want to watch sort of like a look who's talking situation where they just film actual babies. <laughs> By the way, that's on our list. We need to get on that. Um, By the way, that would actually be hilarious. Um, if it was just like a kid in a diaper and a blue shirt with like a screwdriver yeah. down his diaper. What, 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 do you, what do you think about this? I love the Rugrats so much. It is I mean, I haven't went back to watch it, but when I think about what some of these shows like were, like there's a whole episode where they get stuck, I think, in their attic and they're preparing for Hanukkah or something. Mm-hmm. And um, Tommy's grandparents are telling the kids the story of I'm not even going to begin to try to explain it because I'm not Jewish and I don't know exactly what to say. Yeah. But um, it's so it's so funny because they're like dressed up like Moses. Moses had to do something. He was running out of time. I hope this works. seen everything because in their mind like the whole thing is about the adventures they have in their brains oh yeah um even though they're really small to have imaginations <laughs> that's the thing right that's like very when you're a, that's very when ageist you're a, and sizes when you're a you. baby you don't have an imagination you develop an imagination right i guess why don't you know this because well, all that memory is deleted once you become an adult speaking of becoming an adult mm. should we get into the breakfast club yeah all right guys uh, before Ken and I take our top five characters, Ken is going to hit you with the rules. This is a podcast best listened to with an open IMDb. We may talk about some people you've never heard of and you're going to want to look them up. We will be talking about a movie that you may not have seen, which, wow, who hurt you? So if you haven't seen it, pause us right now and go watch. Go watch The Breakfast Club. Rule number one. No remakes, reboots, or long-lost sequels. We can't do a movie that has already been redone in the last 20 years. This includes franchises like Star Wars that pop back up with sequels every few decades. You know what you're doing, Star Wars. Rule number two, no imaginary casting. Our dream cast must be made up of actors that are alive and working today. Shouldn't be tough. They're children. Rule number three, no tender casting. We can't cast someone just based on how they look. You have to have seen their work and be able to vouch for their talent. Very important. Extremely important. Guys, let's get into the reboot of The Breakfast Club. All right, people, we're going to try something a little different today. We are going to write an essay describing to me who you think you are. Maybe you'll learn a little something about yourself. Maybe you'll even decide whether or not you care to return. Uh, you know, I can answer that right now, sir. You know, that'd be no, no for me. Sit down, Johnson. Thank you, sir. My office is right across that hall. 
Any monkey business is ill-advised. Any questions? I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? I'll give you the answer to that question, Mr. Bender, next Saturday. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. All right, so the characters we obviously are going to do, we're going to do the poster. You know what I mean? We're going to do Andrew Clark, played by Emilio Estevez, Claire Standish, played by Molly Ringwald, Brian Johnson, played by Anthony Michael Hall, John Bender, played by Jed Nelson, and Allison Reynolds, played by Ali Sheedy. What do you want to do? What do you, where should we start? <laughs> I have a question. Mm-hmm. What is a neo-maxi zoom dweeby? Uh, well, you know, it's a, like totally, totally, yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, it's just, you know, an apex, like wonked out nerd. Okay. I would assume. That's the insult that baffles me to this day. Because Bender is smart. He's not dumb. And when he calls him this, I'm like, what are you doing? Bender also says something to uh, the the principal, Vernon. Mm -hmm. Is he the principal or is he just like an asshole teacher? I think he's like the vice principal. The disciplinarian. Yeah. Um, I honestly forgot how much I love this movie. Like I, because I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, it's something I watched a lot. I think it's something I introduced to a lot of friends because it's a little bit nostalgic. I think about how when I was in high school and I would get sick and like my mom or dad would have to stay home with me. I don't know why they would. I mean, I wasn't like 10, but I would think about how like the big thing for us was they would get popsicles and movies and we would just like hang out and watch movies. Oh, that's sweet. And I remember there being like a time in my life when my mom was like, we need to get, we need to like, We need to get through some of this stuff. Like Mm -hmm. you need to see Ferris Bueller. You need to see the breakfast club. You need to see like all these things that are going to define your high school experience. Um, And so, yeah, I feel like I, once I saw it, then I was like probably like 15, 16, like looking at my friends, like you haven't seen this. It's going to change your life. I think um, watching a lot of John Hughes today, there is, um, a scale to which his movies hold up. And I mean, Molly Ringwald recently just wrote a book about, I think it's pretty in pink. There's a lot of tropes mm-hmm. in his movies that really don't fly. But I think this one yeah. still kind of toes that line of not even toes a line. I think it I think it sits comfortably in a place where, you know, when we watch it, it's like, yeah, I mean, we aren't gonna say certain words that these characters say back then. Mm-hmm. But I think I think this movie is arguably one of the best works of TV or film about teenagers and adolescents mm-hmm. about social constructs mm-hmm. and i also think it has one of the best introductions like silent introductions to, to characters when they all walk into the to the library for detention like they all kind of have great moments that just clue you into where they are socially and then at the end when they walk out where they where they get to yeah it it really doesn't take long like you spend maybe maybe 30 45 seconds with each of them in the in the in in their introductions like you learn and you learn so much well hey sporto what'd you do to get in here forget to wash your jock uh excuse me fellas i think we should just write our papers look just because you live in here doesn't give you the right to be a pain in the ass so knock it off he's just doing it to get a rise out of you just ignore him sweet you couldn't ignore me if you tried like if it's so well balanced yeah if they're if they're particular 
even like the lack of some of their parents being there being like the thing that you notice specifically like it's a very subtle way to be like this is what this person is leaving behind to walk into detention now these archetypes are very kind of they're prototypical and 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 i know people are more complex than them but like where would you have fallen in high school hmm that's actually a really good question um i don't think i would have I don't think I would have fallen into any. I mean, I definitely wasn't an athlete. <laughs> I definitely, definitely wasn't the criminal. Uh, but I wasn't like a nerd either. But I also wasn't super popular. I the only one left is basket case, which. I mean, I might have been, yeah. but on in a broad sense, I would I would probably say I was eighty percent Brian Johnson. 15% Allison Reynolds. Uh-huh. I don't know. Like 5% Carl the janitor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was definitely like 0.3%. Uh, 0.3% Vernon. Yeah. Um, so um, should we start off? Yeah. Let's, let's start off it. with, surprisingly, the best son Martin Sheen has. <laughs> Isn't that crazy that you're Who like... thought... That Emilio has the best career now. Who would have thought back then that Emilio would somehow outshine everyone he's related to to just be the most normal. Completely, yeah. The most agreeable, Um, the most lovely. Andrew Clark, the sport. They keep calling him. I love how John keeps calling him sport or sporto. He just keeps needling him. Um, Who wants to go first? You or me? um, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, Here's the thing that I thought was most interesting about. I honestly thought about just doing a bunch of gender swapping. I did a little bit. Not for this part. But Mm -hmm. what's fascinating about all of these archetypes is that essentially they all exist and will continue to exist. But the definition changes. The archetype is the same. But it like expands. It contracts. It's all these things. Um. So I feel like you could really just go in all sorts of directions. I decided to cast for my athlete, John Boyega. That's that's interesting. I, Emilio was never as as much of a star as John Boyega is now. You know what I mean? Like John Boyega is a straight up action star. Mm, I do feel like though there is something about being finding your stardom in something like Star Wars that pigeonholes you a little bit. Okay, yeah. Because now, like, his other big action-y movie he did was Pacific Rim. Two. Okay. Uh, And he was great in it. And I'm a big John Boyega fan, like, ever since Attack the Block. Um, Yeah, but I think what more of what we want to see him do coming out of it is the sort of uh, Detroit of it all. We want to see him get in touch with his feelings and I can just see him being a little like Emilio Estevez is is uptight in a way that I don't think we fully realize until we see him sort of like cut loose when he's getting high. Why are you here? Why are you here? I'm here today because uh, because my coach and my father don't want me to blow my ride. So I get treated differently because uh, the coach thinks I'm a winner. So does my old man. I'm not a winner because I want to be one. I'm a winner because I got strength and speed. Kind of like a racehorse. It's about how involved I am in what's happening to me. That's very interesting. That I forgot about that moment. I, and I was fl- like, he's when he literally flipping. And the glass breaks, I was like, what? He's literally flipping out, and I'm, meta- you know, metaphorically flipping out. Um, 
I I I like I like him for this because I think we being introduced to him as a sort of serious character and then watching him expand mm-hmm. would be a lot of fun. Yeah. That's interesting that I forgot he was in Detroit because I also picked a, an actor from Detroit. Um I picked Jacob Lattimore, who was also in mm-hmm. The Shy. And um I like him because he he no offense, Mr. Boyega, but he looks a little bit younger. He he gives me a little more youth than I think John. I, I feel like I'm just used to John Boyega now. Like, You're like, he must be 35 by now. I know, but he's only, what, like 26? <laughs> yeah, he's 26. Yeah. Like, I'm ready for John Boyega to do Mission Impossible 7. Like, I'm ready for Tom Cruise to be like, here you go. And John Boyega's like, thank you. And then just, like, take off. But Wait, you want him to take over for Tom Cruise? No, I'm just saying, like, I'm ready for John Boyega to give me, a, like, a blockbuster movie every year for the at least the next... Do you think he's there yet, though? Have you seen Pacific Rim 2? No. I I challenge you to watch it and not be charmed by how good he is in that movie. No, I'll go rewatch Pacific Rim 1 if I really wanted to, and I won't, but... But this is why I say I challenge you. But I don't want to. Um. Anyways, is we're talking... Is Idris Elba in the second one? His picture is. <laughs> that doesn't count. So, Jacob Lattimore, I think... Um. So, in The Shy, he plays a character who's, like, thr- fatherhood is kind of, like, thrust upon him, and he's, like, a young guy learning, like, responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that about Andrew, where it's, like, he has to balance what other people expect of him and what he expects of himself, and how... Is he going to navigate that? And I, I don't know if you know this guy. But, I don't. I don't okay. know him well enough to say yay or nay, but mm-hmm. I believe. I believe. Okay, let's move on to Claire. Let's move on to the queen of the eighties, Molly Ringwald. I so love her in this movie, especially in the parts. Uh, what I think is the most iconic part of the movie, and it's when they're all sort of sitting in a circle fully getting their shit all out onto the table. Yeah. And you sort of expect them because this is what happens in movies. You sort of expect them to come to a point where they're, where they'll understand each other. Yeah. And they really don't. What is going to happen to us on Monday when we're all together again? You want the truth? Yeah, I want the truth. I don't think so. That's a real nice attitude, Claire. Oh, be honest, Andy. If Brian came walking up to you in the hall on Monday... I know exactly what you'd do. You'd say hi to him, and when he left, you'd cut him all up so your friends wouldn't think that you really liked him. What if I came up to you? The same exact thing. You are a bitch! Why? Because I'm telling the truth? That makes me a bitch? No, because you know how shitty that is to do to someone, and you don't got the balls to stand up to your friends and tell them that you're going to like who you want to like. They put everything out there, and they make sure that they all really know where they stand, but it just doesn't, it doesn't resolve pretty and with a bow and I think she's a big part of that because she's the one who's like well who are we kidding you know like we can have a heart to heart here but we're gonna go back to school on Monday and things are not gonna have changed that scene is also really incredible because it like it gives you insight to how everyone views the future Mm -hmm. so Brian swears that he would never do that because he to me he's promised a better future that Mm -hmm. like he's not gonna get bullied anymore once high school's over, he's going to go to a great college. He's going to get an incredible degree. And, like, you know, his awkwardness is going to, like, slough away. He's going to come into his own. Like, this isn't his time, though. Yeah. His time is in the future. So he he's holding on to, like, a better future. Like, even Bender is, like, that's really shitty. Because he kind of feels the same way. Like, this yeah. isn't his – like, he's fucking around now. But, like, he just because he thinks he's better than this. And whether or not that's yeah. true or not doesn't really matter. That's just how it feels. But – 
Claire is either the pessimist or the realist. Mm -hmm. And she realizes that her time is now. When she gets high, the first, like when she's really high and kind of out of her mind, she revels in how popular she is, but she also hates it. She's like, I hate it. I hate having to go along with everything my friends say. Then why do you do it? You're not friends with the same kind of people that Annie and I are friends with. You know, you just don't understand the pressure that they can put on you. You think I don't understand pressure, Claire? Well, fuck you. Fuck you. I think she also is informed by her parents, like, in the middle of this, like, will they or won't they get divorced kind of thing, that she realizes that people Mm -hmm. stay the same and nothing's going to change because the world is shitty and they're shitty. And I thought that that was... And I think, too, when when she gets high, it's the first time she's realized that, like, when you leave high school, you step out into the bigger world... And you're not going to be as well loved as you were by the small pond that accepted you in high school. Mm-hmm. And so when you really think about the fact that this moment, if you, if you think about it like this moment is the most important moment of my life, that's really depressing. I know. Um, I picked an actress who has been in uh, a couple of things now. I think she, yeah, a couple of things now. So I hope people know her, but. She was recently in a comedy this summer mm-hmm. where she kind of played sort of the opposite of Claire, where she was like, she's a very pretty actress and she has the world kind of given to her, but she seemed like really grounded. Mm-hmm. I'm not really selling this well, but um, I think she has the capacity to kind of be that kind of pessimist and that kind of bitch. You okay. Know? The conceited princess. Um, I picked Catherine Newton from Three Billboards and mm-hmm. the comedy I was speaking of is Blockers, mm-hmm. but she's also in Big Little Lies. And I think she's going to be in the Pokemon movie, which is kind of maybe <laughs> like this is weird. But whenever I see her, I think about how she was in uh, Paranormal Activity Four, which was surprisingly a really funny movie. Um, no, yeah, I think she's really great. Yeah, I, I think she's charming. She she kind of looks like every girl in my high school who kind of was that Molly Ringwald, like mm-hmm. very put together. Um, I think Molly Ringwald, what's funny about Claire in 1987 is she's like really not concerned with academics. And I think yeah. that today doesn't fly. No. I think not all of these kids, but I think a majority of these kids would be like, all these characters would kind of have to bleed a little bit more and, and yeah. be a little more dynamic than what uh, John Hughes did with them. But yeah, so that's who I picked, Catherine Newton. No, I like her a lot. I think she's great. Um, I panicked for a second because I was like, who did I cast? I, I gender swapped this role. Um, because here's the thing that when I was thinking about it, I was like, I think when this movie was made in the eighties, the way he did it seemed to make sense because gender roles just felt more specific. Yeah. So it was like, oh, the athlete has to be a man. The nerd will be a guy. The criminal will be a guy. But the popular person has to be a girl and the sort of like mentally unstable one has yeah. to be, a, which I mean, you, it, uh, let's not get into that. Gender but, swapping these are like you could do infinite combinations. So that's yeah. why I, I kind of stayed traditional on this one, which I just, is kind of boring. But I felt you don't have to defend it. We know you're, you know, boring. Uh, well, I'm wearing um, a sombrero right now. <laughs> People think I'm no fun. Well, take this. <laughs> These googly eyed glasses aren't here for no reason. Um, yeah. So I gender swapped this one because there was something about not having it be a queen bee, but like a. I sort of imagined this the princess of the new 
the new school would be this really overly woke guy. And I mean, I picked some big guns for my movie, but I'm not going to apologize for that. The person I saw like this was Timothy Chalamet. Timmy, Timmy, Timmy Chalamet. Because he just, he look. <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but doesn't he just kind of look like the like rich kid that you like knew in high school? Yeah. But you were like, we don't talk to him. <laughs> it's like that or he's like the lead singer of the high school band that everyone kind of either hates, hates or is like or, yeah. way into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or the kid who's just like, check out my band. We're playing, we're playing my garage. Check out my band. We're playing my garage next Saturday. Um, I mean, the guy's wickedly talented. The wickedly talented so, Timothy Chalamet. I kind of want to make Chalamet like an exclamation, like when you're saying goodbye to someone and like wishing them well. Be Chalamet. Like, be like, hey, man, Chalamet. And then high five. <laughs> that was Chalamet. A lo- that was a low high five. Well, it's down here. Yeah. <laughs> it's more casual it's a kneecap you hit their kneecaps yeah. it's the new thing i like that idea i like and i'm gonna i'm interested in seeing how you gender swap the rest of them to kind of match because like claire and john uh-huh it's really creepy this whole like it's creepy it's, yeah like they're like weird rom- I, I mean it's guess it's like do girls really like the bad guy but he like is kind of pervy the whole time ever been felt up over the bra under the blouse shoes off open the god your parents don't walk in do you want me to puke over the panties no bra well some buttoned calvin's in a ball on the front seat past 11 on a school night i mean he's definitely doing that thing that high school kids do where they're like this is gonna shock them yeah that's true but he's not. I did love when he, he ain't shit. I did love the part where he's trying to like he's I think he's he's either trying to like really revolt her or just try and make her laugh. Mm-hmm. But the time where he talks about the guy with elephantitis of the nuts. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I fr- <laughs> it's really funny. He's just like, I mean, how does this guy even drive a car? <laughs> I don't know. Would she be able would she be fine with sitting in the back? Because his nuts <laughs> have to sit, so- have yeah, to sit shotgun. That's right. All right. Let's move on to Brian Johnson. Played by. Michael A. Hall. If if Molly Ringwald is the queen of John Hughes movies, I think like Michael Anthony, Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> Did I? Oh, I wrote Michael Anthony Hall. Oh my god, that's incorrect. I think I'm thinking Michael C. Hall. Oh, that's weird. Anthony Michael Hall, who was also, uh, I mean, for being the nerd, was still that sort of '80s royalty of. He's up mm-hmm. there. He looks so different now. Yeah. Again, he- I was watching. The Dark Knight recently and was like, right. Yeah. That's Anthony Michael Hall. It's like old Dave Chappelle versus like ripped Dave Chappelle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, the yeah. same guy, but you're like. Skinny mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle versus are they the same person? Okay. So for Brian, I picked an actor who wowed me. Maybe it was this spring or last fall on a Netflix show called The End of the Fucking World. Hmm. I picked Alex Lothar. Mm-hmm. Um, Familiar. And I just loved his performance in that as someone who. He was sort of the outsider in that, like the, he played like this, you know, budding psychopath who eventually falls in love with a budding maniac. But mm-hmm. um, he showed like incredible heart in that show. Yeah, and I think Brian really is the heart of this group. Like I always, every time I watch this movie, I always think that Brian is not happy to be there. But he kind of sees it as his opportunity to interact with these people yeah. that he never gets a chance to interact with. Mm-hmm. And it's true. 
which is why he, I think he's the one who poses the question, like, what's going to happen on Monday? Mm-hmm. And I think he's, he's the one who has the most to lose. That's right. That's a great. That's like a great he, point. he's the one who is always going to be like, they did me wrong. He's like, either going to is going to care. He's either going to get ignored or get the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. Um, he's going to end up like one of his the, his friend that Andrew tapes his butt shut. Um, which is like a really great. Um, that's not okay. It, no, but it's a great confession. Yeah. That um, Emilio Estevez gives uh, the great performance. Um, You're right though because I, when Brian cries, I cry. Because yeah. you can, it's one of those things where you can just see it coming and you can feel where he's at. That like, it starts as his confession of like, there's just so much pressure on me that nobody else understands, or that these people don't understand because they're dealing with their own pressure. And then it sort of turns into him being the one to finally tell them, you're, there's something wrong here. Like, yeah. like you, you're always going to be like, it's okay or whatever. But because Claire's the one who's like, it's fine. It's just the way it is. And he's like, you're so conceited. Like, you don't even understand how much this hurts. There's a level of desperation in that, too. Like, I feel like he doesn't understand why he's any different than these other people. Mm-hmm. Like, I think uh, John says it a little bit in the beginning when they're talking about social groups. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jerry, do you belong to the physics club? That's an academic club. So? So academic clubs aren't the same as other kinds of clubs. Ah, but the dorks like him, they are. What do you guys do in your club? In physics, well, we we, uh, we talk about physics, uh, properties of physics. So it's sort of social. Demented and sad, but social. He's right. Like, to Brian, his clubs are just as good as their clubs. Like, his talent, like, he can't wrestle a guy to the ground like Andrew or probably, you know, Andrew probably plays like four sports, right? So he can't throw a football, he can't hit a baseball, but he can do complicated physics problems and, and high concept math problems, but somehow he's not as regarded in this micro society as Andrew's gifts. Which is interesting because then the opposite of that happens in the group when he's talking about failing shop and Bender is like, what, I'm an idiot because I take shop? Yeah. And they have this exchange, too, where he's like, well, it's not trigonometry. I thought I was playing it real smart, you know, because I thought, you know, I'll take shop. Maybe it's an easy way to maintain my grade point average. Why'd you think it'd be easy? Have you seen some of the dopes that take shop? I take shop. You must be a fucking idiot. I'm a fucking idiot because I can't make a lamp? No, you're a genius because you can't make a lamp. What do you know about trigonometry? I could care less about trigonometry. Bender, did you know without trigonometry there'd be no engineering? Without lamps, there'd be no light. That's the exciting thing about the movie is that you realize that every all the social norms that are sort of placed on us that continue to exist to this day, like none of it makes sense. None of it matters. No. You are valuable just as you are. <laughs> this podcast has now switched into Kenneth's self-help hour. Callers. Know your worth, people. Okay, is it my turn? Yes, it <laughs> okay. is. <laughs> uh, so for my Brian, I picked Alex Wolf, who was phenomenal in Hereditary. Yeah, I just think he's a really talented young person who I think honestly would play a different kind of nerd but who who I who I liked for this I think he could really either go one of two directions you could do the sort of nerd who is like academics or you could make him the sort of like 
fanboy style nerd who just has trouble, I think, connecting outside of his own interests. Um, and it would still be really interesting and fascinating. Alex Wolfe, he is incredible. Uh, I didn't, I didn't think he, you know, watching Hereditary, I didn't think he had that kind of uh, depth. Yeah, and, and he's only twenty two. I don't know yeah. why I thought he was a little bit older, but um, he's like the youngest person I picked. But I kind of see it like I kind of see his Brian resting between his Jumanji character and his Hereditary character because his Jumanji character is like that ultra nerd, right? I like video games and I don't know people and my best friend became a jock. And I think in Hereditary, he's a little more grounded as just like he's just a kid trying to be a normal kid. He's just a kid who drove his sister into a. <laughs> Some people might be watching this in a car. Some people might be eating You're food. You're not going to see Some it. Some people. I have PTSD from them. That movie. That movie was incredible. Okay, um, yeah, I like the pick, and uh, I think I think that kid's going places. I th- I think he is too. Uh, let's move on to John Bender. I picked an insane <laughs> choice for this. Okay. I, okay. So I, I I struggled with John because Judd Nelson, um, he's not just like a fuck up, right? Um, at least in the performance, he seems like he has a great understanding. Of at least his part of the world. Yeah, he's very self-aware. That's bullshit. It's all part of your image. I don't believe a word of it. You don't believe me? Did I stutter? You believe this? Huh? It's about the size of a cigar. Do I stutter? See, this is what you get in my house when you spill paint in the garage. I love this character, mostly because Judd Nelson's casting is like, he perfectly looks like the guy you knew in high school who might have been 30 years old but was still in high school for some reason. Um, Something about that just works. But everything about him works. The way he walks, the way he talks, it's all so specific. I mean, he is the one who has some of the best one-liners. Like, I will forever in my head hear, if you keep eating your hand, you won't be hungry for lunch. (laughs) Um... He's just so good. And I think he really brings a really, because there's nothing, we were talking about how self, self-aware self he is and how unfortunate being self-aware in the situation that he's in is for him. Mm-hmm. Like if he, if, if he just had like a little bit of a, a fantasy world that he lived in that could help him escape from his really horrible home life, like it might almost help him to like deal with it. But instead, like he is running into it head on. You feel for that character and you yeah. think of every misbehaving kid and you just kind of like, you're, you kind of wonder if whether or not that was true for a lot of people that you knew. It does. It makes you sad. Cause you're like, what didn't I know about yeah. people that I was just like too scared? Cause I didn't want to seem. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we all deal with that. Um, okay. So I gender swapped. This role as well. Mostly because at first I was like, oh, well, I don't really want to make the criminal a woman. But then I was like, yeah, why not? Why not? I liked the idea of there being the, the this voice being female in an updated version, especially because I think girls growing up now sort of have to be, it's, it's almost impossible to not be more woke awake than the previous generation and so i think there are going to be a lot of women who are sort of unfortunately the ones who have to 
toss their friends into the deep end. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's sort of where I was coming from with this. I picked Micah Monroe. uh, It Follows. It Follows. And The Guest. And Independence Day, whatever the updated version of that was called. Uh, Redemption? Maybe. Um, (laughs) Resurrection? I don't know. (laughs) Really, any of these could work. Um, I I love her, and I've been holding on to her for a little while because I think she has a really interesting career ahead of her, um, but could make a really fascinating uh, female bender. Yeah, the only thing I've seen her in is It Follows, and that movie is so subdued. I'm going to trust that, like, in other work that she is, that she can kind of be, like, a little more aggressive, which John, John's really, you know, he's the reason, I, I was thinking about this, he's sort of the reason that this movie happens at all. Mm-hmm. Because his whole sort of mode is, fuck with everyone in this room. Are you guys like boyfriend, girlfriend? Steady dates? Lovers? Come on, sporto. Level with me. Do you slip her the hot beef injection? Hey, what's going on in there? He's going to come in here and just poke and prod and make everyone miserable because that's kind of what he does. Like he's trying to get a rise out of people. Yeah. Because he's probably very lonely, you know, mm-hmm. and it's also the only thing that his parents are showing him. And so that that's like what he's bringing into his reality. Um, so I would like to see like what she could do in this. Like I, I would like to see her be that kind of like I don't see him as a criminal as much as I just see him as like a bully. Or as like, he's the yeah he's the misfit. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to pick someone that you had, but I I wanted to be, you know, I didn't want to just recycle that guy. So um, I picked a a different actor, and I'm not sure if this guy. <laughs> I'm not sure about him, but he he really spoke to me thinking about um, John as sort of the instigator. I picked Jimmy Tatro from American Vandal. Um, if you haven't seen American Vandal, it's really good. It's really funny. Um, the first episode is hilarious, but a few episodes in, there's a moment where he's like exonerated from the crime and he tries to like go and socialize with the school and like he tries to like be a changed person mm-hmm. and it like really doesn't work. And he, I think he like, I think they watch the documentary and he hears what everyone says about him. And that's when he realizes that he, you know, has become kind of he's kind of wasted his life at high school. He's kind of become a joke to people. And he kind of has this moment where he he's not like them Um, because he can really be a son of a bitch in terms of like mocking people, which Nelson is really good at. Mm -hmm. But whether or not he can have those kind of like moments of like defending his position I'm a little shaky on, but what I saw on that show, I, I was like, I think this is like a great person to to play this part. Interesting. Honestly, I think I I think I have a little bit of a bias toward Jimmy Tatro because I followed him back in the day on YouTube and I see him as a YouTube celebrity, mm. which is tough because mm-hmm. it's not like a lot of those people don't have any talent. Right. But it's a it's a struggle for me to then see him as yeah. like a serious. Every once actor. in a while they crack through. But yeah. Not, not Maybe often. I should have watched more of American Vandal. I thought it got old pretty quickly. Yeah. But because the first episode, I was like, the joke is funny. Second episode, I was like, okay. Third episode, I was like, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> yeah, they did try to pivot to like a serious documentary, but I was captivated by him because he's he's kind of just like a douchebag in the whole mm-hmm. thing. But and I know those people. I know those kind of people. Are you that person? 
<laughs> so tip the table over. Okay, last but not least, Allison Reynolds played by Ali Sheedy. Maybe my favorite character in this. Like all her little like squeaks and squeals in the beginning. I always forget about the subtlety that I had never noticed before when I watched this movie is how appalled she looks when they're all getting high. Oh yeah. I thought that was hilarious. She's already high on life. Cause there's something funny about like a sort of weirdo who has their own set of rules. So you're saying you subject yourself to the violent dangers of these Chicago streets because your home life is unsatisfying. I don't have to run away and live in the street. I can run away and I can go to the ocean, I can go to the country, I can go to the mountains, I could go to Israel, Africa, Afghanistan. And it's just funny, like, how much she's looking at them, like, what are you doing? I yeah. mean, that's what I would have done if Emilio Estevez did what he did in that moment. I would be like, what? And she kisses him at the end of this movie. I know. Is that a, a stranger turn than I, I think so. Molly Ringwald's? I think so. Because she completely wears just like different clothes. She just becomes like a, it a, is, a Molly Ringwald ba- like light. It is a little bit of like the nerd takes her glasses off and the guy sees her as he wants to see her. Yeah. But uh, I think it's a weirder connection because there is that sort of thing of like the popular girl will ultimately do something just to piss her parents off. Yeah. And so the decision makes a little bit of sense. Those two, I'm like, okay. Sure. Yeah, I guess it's more the appearance of the makeover rather than like she literally wears a pink dress on the way out of school. And I just I just feel like if maybe Molly Ringwald just like redid her hair to like get it out of her face, but it just kept the same thing. Like maybe she was like if, if it you, was more her. Yeah. With a little bit with just a little more polish. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, so uh, I, I know I r- ranted and railed about not reusing an actor, but I I realized that I had picked this actor a few episodes back, but people don't remember him. But I just told them. Um, I was looking for <laughs> okay. an, I was looking for an actress who could play coy and also manipulative, and also be a really great act- actress. I think Ali Sheedy is she might be my favorite character in this movie. You always see her and you're just like, what is this person thinking? Like, she's the most interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked Olivia Cook from Thoroughbreds and Ready mm. Player One. because She's she, great. She's great. And she has this sort of like, uh, specifically Thoroughbreds, she has this sort of attitude that she's kind of checked out from the rest of everyone else. Like, she's going to do mm-hmm. things differently because she, at least in that movie, she committed like some crazy act of animal murder. But um, she she can detach from the rest. And that's what I kind of liked. Yeah. I love Olivia Cook. I think she's really wonderful and I hope she has a wonderful career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're right. I think there's something special about this character because of all of them, she truly doesn't care what anybody thinks. Yeah. She's even like uncomfortable with the notion that Claire would want to make her over. Don't stick that in my eye. I'm not sticking it. Just close it. No, wait, just close it like that. You know, you really do look a lot better without all that black shit on your eyes. Hey, I like that black shit. Why are you being so nice to me? Because you're letting me. So you kind of just have to pick somebody who truly can be themselves. And so I picked Jessica Barden, who played opposite of Alex Lothar in The End of the Fucking Worlds. She was She's so good in that. the female lead of that show. 
um, which is a show on Netflix. I don't know if everybody knows about this. Uh, <laughs> Watch it. I, I loved it. Some but, people didn't like it, but I... I yeah, I really it's a it. specific kind of entertainment, but they're both really good. And as soon as I saw her face and was reminded of the character, I was like, this is kind of exactly what we need Allison to be. Yeah. Like someone who goes to detention because they have nothing else to do. Yeah. Because it's a way to spend time like away from her her family. Yeah. But that scene, I, I completely forgot that like when she delivers that speech, I was like, oh, they, I hope they did. Like, did they abuse her? And then she's like, they ignore me. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, thank you, John. <laughs> like, this, I, this movie that... would have crashed like at that moment. Like, it would have been too. It would have been like too heavy for these kids to kind of, um, kind of come back from that realization. But that moment is really stunning because ultimately, like, Andrew is showing empathy that I don't think we assumed he was possible of. Yeah. And well, it's and and it's for something that like his situation is entirely different. Like his dad is down his throat. Yeah, but I, and I, he is still able to be like your your parents are doing something entirely different, but we're both in this situation where we're just like I can't like I can't afford to be around them. They are extremely different, but I think there's an underlying problem which is that their parents don't see them. Mhm. Like with Andrew, they don't care what he has to say. Like they just bulldoze him. Whereas with Allison, they just like go around her. And I, I think going back to what we were talking about previously is what's so amazing about that scene where they're all just kind of putting it out on the table is that they are all realizing that their differences are fine, and they're really there is really no reason to attack anyone for being different or mm-hmm. being who they are. But yet, they're going to go back to doing it. They're going to, yeah. or maybe like we can talk about what you think happens on Monday, but like they're all prepared to be like, yep, nope, we're all going to, you know, pick up our shit, shove it back down and be these people that we hate. Like, I think almost everyone admits hating themselves mm-hmm. in some capacity. My God, are we going to be like our parents? Not me. It's unavoidable. It just happens. What happens? When you grow up, your heart dies. Who cares? I care. I I do love this actress. She has such a crazy energy in that show that feels like dangerous, but also like she doesn't mean harm. But she yeah. she could, she's just like she's just strange. Like she uh, Allison is a kleptomaniac and a serial liar. And the moment where like uh, John and Andrew are like about to throw down, and Bender's like, "Cause I'd kill you, man." And he pulls out a knife. And he stabs it on the chair, and there it is, like a we- there's a weapon in the room, and everyone feels like unsafe. She just like slyly reaches over and just takes it, and like no one notices it but us. And mm-hmm. you're just like, it's equally charming, but also disconcerting. Like, what is this girl doing? Like, yeah. what? It- like, she could go off at any minute. Like, we we just don't know her, and I think that's uh, a great choice for a character that we don't know anything about until I think like halfway. She doesn't speak until like halfway through the movie. Yeah, and then she like spouts this whole thing to everyone about how she's having sex with her therapist or her psychologist and then she's like psych it's a lie (laughs) i'm not a nymphomaniac i'm a compulsive liar you are such a bitch you did that on purpose just to fuck me over i would do it though if you love someone it's okay and you're like uh these kids are operating on a plane 
that I cannot fathom. Okay, guys, that was our five picks for the Breakfast Club. Uh, let's move on to where does Barry Pepper? Where does Barry Pepper go? Literally, where? So we have maybe uh, three spots for old B Peps. Mm-hmm. We got a probably one of the parents. We got Carl the janitor, and we got Richard Vernon. Who'd you pick? I picked Vernon. I picked Carl. Yeah. I think he's more of a Carl. You know, he is more of a Carl, but I wanted to give Barry a big <laughs> juicy roll because last week we, it was he was you know what were we gonna do? I don't know though. Carl has Carl speaks truth. Yeah, that's I think true. he's got a good. He's got something interesting. Right, can I change say. my vote? No. I'm changing to Carl. It's <laughs> Carl the janitor, everybody. See, here's the thing. Because he's editing it, he can just throw in whatever he wants. <laughs> don't believe anything we say. Okay, I don't have much of a... No, I think we covered it all. Yeah. What would weed be in the 2018 version? Molly? They would not, like... They would not be rolling. I think it would still be weed. Would it be shrimp? Yeah? I think it would still be weed. Mm. Because it... But, it, it, like, weed to them is just, like... I mean, I know if kids had weed on school grounds, it would be, like, suspended. But I just mean, like... At least maybe because we live in California, it's not as, like, of a big deal to us. But maybe I think in Shermer, Illinois, it still is. I think the reaction to it would be a little bit different. Because yeah. I think, like, Brian's initial reaction of being like, That was marijuana. Shut up, dude. Do you approve of this? Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's like, yeah, okay. Like, I feel like the, some of these, like, characters would react to it a little differently, but it I think ultimately you would end up with the same thing of like several people are having their first interaction with this. Yeah. And it'd be really fascinating. Yeah. They wouldn't be doing like club drugs. They wouldn't be (laughs) shooting up heroin or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks guys for joining us on this episode of The Boot. Check us out next week for another movie that we will remake and pull into the, the zeitgeist. Kenna, where can people find us? You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find this podcast on social media at The Boot Podcast on Twitter and at Boot Podcast on Instagram. You can find us individually because we're individuals who know who we are. We're not just podcast people. (laughs) We're not We're not just hosts. I'm at Kenna Trent and he is at... Guys, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe, please rate, please tell your friends, and we'll see you next Saturday in detention. What ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir?